0: Hello, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is the man we have all come to hear once again, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing today, man? I'm great, Jared. How are you? Ah, man, if I was any better, I'd be jealous of myself.
1: Um, the heaven.
0: <laughs> Having a great time out here in Buffalo in the snow. You guys got a little snow up there in Washington, right?
1: Yeah, they like kind of a, a, kind of a ton by our standards. I, w- I would say probably like, you know, 14 inches maybe over like, over accumulation over like three days. Kind of, it was fun. Like we got to sled, we got to build snowmen. It was, uh, not something we see that often around here. So it was it's still kind of here, kind of melting away now, but definitely was exciting for, for me and my family to have that right at the house and, and get to play around. I was gonna say, how pumped was Coraline to see that much snow? She was pumped, but then it got so deep, it was pretty hard for her to to move around. It was a lot of like, once she fell over, she couldn't really get back up. We had to kind of <laughs> pull her around, but it, that's fine, you know. We had we had fun. We we her, her sledding bravery went it tripled at least in ever, over those couple days.
0: Absolutely. You ever uh, you ever tried the the ribbon on the desk trick when playing in the snow? Does that work?
1: I, I honestly, I just haven't played in the snow enough to even get that far. Like, there's not been around here. Like, if it snows, it's like disc golf's pretty far from my off my top few things to do because we don't get that much snow. So when it snows, it's like we're doing snow stuff. But if I lived somewhere where it was like Buffalo and it was just going to be snowy, then I'm sure I would have had to try that. But no, I've never tried the ribbon. I have played obviously some in the snow. But uh but never like super deep snow and, and never regularly enough to try any techniques. But I I've heard good things. I think the ribbon thing people have success with that.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to try it out. It's been too long, man. I keep with same thing with me. The snow's out there and I'm like, yeah, I'll wait for it to melt, I'll wait for it to melt. Now it's been a couple weeks and I'm like, all right, yeah. maybe I'll try this ribbon thing. Yeah. See see how that works. Well, Nate, we've had some amazing guests um, for like the last seven episodes now. And we've just gotten a huge backlog of questions for you. And we want to be fair to our guests and our listeners. So I kind of push those to the side and we use the, the, the guests, uh, the questions for the guests. So we decided to kind of call an audible. this episode and we did a special hashtag ask Nate anything so I had a bunch of those questions already stored up I threw up a few posts on social media. You guys can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Running It With Nate Sexton and said, hey, guys, we're going to do a special Ask Nate Anything. And wow, did we get bombarded with questions. So we're going to do a little special uh, audible here for our listeners. And we're going to just go ahead and fire away a bunch of questions until you can't take anymore. What do you think, Nate?
1: I like it. I feel like we should do it every once in a while because, you know if we especially if we're getting the questions and then also you know I love having the guests but having to deal with these celebrities every single week and having to meet all their demands to get them on the show it'll be this is a little simpler.
0: Yeah, there was no no special riders. We didn't have to just send Jerm a bag of just green M&Ms or anything like that. So yeah. Yeah. It was it was nice to be able to do this. So, uh let's not waste any time, man, because we've got a ton of questions and we're going to get through as many as we can here. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Logan Powers sent into the email, Hey, Nate, what is your biggest pet peeve with your fan base? I'm sure with the Facebook page blowing up in the last year, there has to be something that you don't like about it. As a fan, it would be nice to know what to avoid doing to keep you happy with the community.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think – it's my my actual fans probably don't annoy me all that much. I mean, they're mostly just patting me on the back all the time, which is awesome. And just, you know, giving me encouragement to go out there and play well and do whatever I can. I'd say, um, let's see, what is annoying? I mean, every once in a while, I get a little annoyed. Like, I'll get tagged in something like somebody just laying up from 35 feet and just be like, yeah, sexton style. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you know. <laughs> pump your brakes a little look look into the footage you know i'm not i haven't done that that many times unless i was like about to win um but yeah so that sometimes would just as but i'm still laughing about it you know i kind of like to lean into the nate safeton thing and have fun with it but yeah i guess i guess that's the first thing that pops into my head but overall i mean the fans the fans uh yeah they're not not too annoying mostly everyone's just being super nice so that's that's pretty easy to deal with that's because you're a super nice guy nate and i think that's i think that's why you get that in return from your fans. Well, i think uh, everybody's fans. i mean, yeah, i don't I mean, hopefully tr- that's true. but also, i mean, if somebody's a fan, even if you're mean, if they're your fan, i mean, they're probably not going to show you too much stuff that you're not going to like.
0: well, that makes sense. all right, cool. so uh Mason Wright, Mason Disc on Instagram says, "Hey there, Nate. My question for you is this. Stability, dome and feel aside." What is your favorite year of Sexton Firebirds just based on the stamp? Would love to know. And personally, he's partial to the 2018 stamp.
1: That is a nice one. Uh I think I think my least favorite would probably be the 17. Uh it it's kind of like has like a graffiti look to it. It's cool, but that's that's probably the one that I I like the least. I think I like the 18 is really nice. Uh, I think the 16 is nice. I think the 15 is just like kind of classic looking since it uses the super old Rise of the Phoenix DX Firebird art and everything. So those would probably be my top three. If I have to pick one, um, I, guess I'll, I guess I'll go with the 16. Just Just like if I'm just trying to imagine. I don't have them right here in front of me. But if I'm just trying to imagine the stamps and like which one looks the best, if I just had to pick a graphic. Maybe the 16.
0: 16 actually probably my favorite as well. And uh, someday when they become affordable, I might actually bag one and throw it. But we've already had this discussion. I'm not spending that kind of money to put a piece <laughs> of plastic on my wall.
1: I think um, it's going to be tough to see the, the that someday might be a long way off because it's not like they're making any more 16s.
0: Yeah, and they're not going to get any cheaper, but that's okay. Maybe there's a nice fan out there that's got one that they want to trade for something. You know, we'll, there you we'll go. Figure we'll figure there it out. Go. You know, a fun question that I get almost every week in one form or another. We got it a lot with the big germ episodes and Nate Doss and Yuli. Disc golf is a little different because a lot of the commentary is done by players, um, depending on which uh, outlet you're watching it on. Have you ever personally, or do you know of there ever being an issue from another player saying, Hey, why would you say that about me during the coverage?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say not a serious issue. We certainly have had some little back and forth, you know, Jeremy and I with Nico about talking about his clothes uh, <laughs> and it, but it's all lighthearted, you know, just talking about how he's got, he's got all this, uh, you know, he's pushing the boundaries of the disc golf style. He's always wearing some kind of loud prints or whatever. And, We've had some funny moments talking about his clothes when, when, cause you, you like get to hole one in the intro and it's like the guy's just right in your face all of a sudden in, uh, slow mo. So you got to comment on something and sometimes he's going for outrageous look on purpose. So we've definitely had some fun little jokes about that around the practice basket warming up. Like, Oh, what you guys didn't like my pants. What's going on? And we're like, Hey, man, come on. Just keep it going. We, we like everything you do. Right.
0: Right. No, I didn't think that there would be, but I guess it's a fair question and and people want to know. Yeah. Ryan Burns from St. James, Missouri asks, During your 2021 Las Vegas tournament, which would be the sexiest? Going bogey-free all weekend? Snagging an ace on infinite course hole six? Or beating
1: Jeremy Colling? (laughs) <laughs> definitely bogey free that's a, that's the sexiest thing you can do um it's crazy man it's a uh, it's been uh, when i when i step on the t there in uh in vegas it'll have been basically a full year since i've played uh, a national or international level tournament and it's just crazy how that's happened because i played vegas and i played memorial then covid shut everything down then i tried to go to usdgc hurt myself and now finally back but uh, to go bogey free after that kind of layoff would be a dream. That would be incredible. I, I mean, I, I know I, I know I'd be happy with where I finish. That's for sure. If I could stay away from the bogeys. Yeah. Bogey free. There's that.
0: You can't complain about that at any time. That's the dream. Okay, so here's a fun question, Nate. And I know that for some of our listeners who understand and know all about this, that they might get a little annoyed with this here. But Nick Campbell from Denver, Colorado, he says, as a beginner and new to the sport, I hear in every video about the stability of a disc. Can you please explain what this means? Love the podcast and the disc breakdowns. They help a lot, like I'm always running it every chance I get. And I think that that's something that you and I have talked about. I think a lot of times we take for granted that all of our listeners understand all of the terminology. Um, so could you kind of break down for Nick a little bit what we're talking about when you say you're looking for an overstable disc or an understable disc?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a good question. That's, that's, a, it's kind of a weird thing because it's like terminology that's so specific to disc golf that it doesn't really make a lot of sense. You don't really talk about anything else in the world as being overstable, understable, whatever. And the word stable is kind of like used interchangeably with overstable, which makes it even a little more confusing. But basically, every disc is going to have its tendencies to make some kind of a curve, you know, whether that be right or left, depending on the spin you're putting on the disc. So for the sake of the example, let's talk about a right-handed backhand. So that's going to be a clockwise spin. So if the disc is spinning clockwise, the degree to which it wants to pull to the left and kind of like fall to the ground, that's going to be how overstable it is. So the more that's happening, that's the more overstable disc you're going to have. And that's going to be something that's great for like headwinds or like a sharp left turn or a skip or something like that where you can throw it on almost any angle and it's just going to start diving left pretty quick. Then as you, you know, get down the line with different discs, you're going to have some that want to fly pretty straight. And then on the other end of the spectrum, understable discs, given enough power, even if you throw them on like an angle that it would look like it wants to bank to the left, then it's going to roll up and move right and fly right for you and glide around a corner. So there's manufacturers that have, you know, er all the way across, you know, every type of disc you can imagine. So. That's kind of the whole spectrum, all the way from super, super overstable to super, super understable. And you want to have a little bit of everything in your bag so that you can kind of attack any sort of hole you run into.
0: It's, uh, it was one of those things when I first started getting into disc golf that, you know, I'm happy he asked that question because you'd watch the videos and you hear the people talk about it and you almost didn't want to admit that you didn't know what it meant. So you just kind of went with it like, Oh yeah, you want to get an overstable disc. Okay, great. And um, you know, there's really nobody out there doing definitions of these terms that you guys use so often when,
1: uh, when calling the games or just talking about it. So uh, I'm happy that he, I'm happy that he sent that in. Yeah, for sure. And it makes me think I should say uh, at the open of the show, the ribbon thing means taping a ribbon to the bottom of your disc long enough that when it dives down into some deep snow, you might see a little tail of pink or orange to help you find your disc. So anybody who's still confused about that, now you're not anymore.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. And uh, I've seen people doing it. I I just haven't tried it. So Charles from Instagram says, Hey, Nate, how do you feel about changing the size of baskets on tour? In a recent interview, Paul Macbeth mentioned that the baskets we play on now were designed to catch Frisbees, not discs. He thought it would be better if we had baskets with a closer grouping of chains specifically designed to catch disc golf discs.
1: What do you think? I mean, I'm open to testing that kind of stuff and and looking at like a smaller target. But on the whole, I think we have an exciting game. And I think putting is still compelling. Even though you know, you don't, you, you got to stop trying to compare it to ball golf. In that, yeah, sure, a 25 footer at the elite level might not be that exciting of a thing, but you know, a 45 footer certainly is. And uh, I think for me, I think it's a, a low priority thing. I don't, I don't think that it's going to change scoring that much because I kind of feel like most of the makes are like pretty on the pole anyway. And You know, I I don't think a smaller basket is going to make a huge difference on those inside 33-foot, inside 10-meter putts. I think most of the people, most of the good players are still going to be making those, even if the basket was significantly smaller. So open to seeing it tested, but not a huge, uh, like, we need this now, get these baskets smaller, putting's too easy. I've never felt that way.
0: If there was one rule or thing that you could change in professional disc golf, what would it be? Is there anything?
1: I think one thing that uh, bugs me a little bit is the, how punitive it is to lose a disc because a lost disc would be, you have to re Like assuming it's a tee shot, you have to re tee with a penalty. So you threw it up there. It's kind of a badly designed hole or whatever. It's just really thick, rough. Maybe the designer has nothing he can say about that because that's the terrain that you have. And I feel like sometimes a lost disc is like totally your fault because you tried something crazy and it got lost. But other times a lost disc is such a luck thing. And to me, it feels like maybe a penalty is not necessary. Maybe just a retee. Um, And I don't know. I haven't thought about that too in depth, but uh, that feels pretty bad to me to like, okay, you lost your disc. Now you better go back. And if you don't park it, now you're taking a double bogey. Like the best you can do now is is bogey.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you about is do you think there should be a limit on discs in the bag for a for a tournament? I mean, in ball golf, if you break your driver on the first hole, um, you don't have a driver for the rest of that round. Uh, if you run out of balls in your bag, you're only allowed a certain amount, your round is done. In disc golf, you throw a destroyer in the drink. You're like, man, I got six more in the bag. Not a big deal. (laughs) Is Is that,
1: is there a limit on balls for, for professional golf? I know there's a limit on clubs, like 14 clubs or whatever, but is there actually a limit on balls? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty
0: sure. I mean, I've seen instances where guys have used their last ball in their bag. That was it. Um, you know, so I, I feel like that's not really that doesn't come into play in disc golf. And do you think that's something that we'll ever see change where they'll put a limit? Like, Hey, you can have 14 discs in your bag for, for the tournament. And if you get down to eight, you're down to eight.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I don't, I don't think it could be as low as 14. I think, you know, your analogy to like, if you broke your driver, you'd be without your driver. Just the, the rate at which golf clubs break compared to the rate at which, at which discs get lost uh is it is not equitable so i don't think you could you could you have to think of it as the ball the the disc represents both the ball and the club so you would have to have a a fairly high limit i think just because some courses are so brutal that you you know could take a couple bad breaks and and be out you know quite a few discs and you're already taking penalties in those situations so i don't think you need to stack it up on people more but um but, yeah, I mean, I, I could see it, but I don't think it's important, I guess. Like, I feel like, sure, if you want to carry 50 discs, like, that's fine. You know, your caddy's going to get tired or you're going to get tired. And I also think, you know, keeping it simple in some cases can be important, too. So it's, like, pretty hard to, like, intimately understand the flight of 50 different discs at any, any given time. And you might end up overthinking and, and throwing uh, some shots that could have been better because you're, you, you can have maybe too many options. Fair enough.
0: We got a question from Smarty77 from Instagram, and I love this question. Considering the pro disc golf community seems so tight and lots of friendships on the course, how often are rules violations actually called? I've only seen a few on YouTube called, and it seemed to cause some friction while also few guys seconding the call.
1: Also, spots always seem to be pretty favorable. I I agree. I agree with that. And this is actually ties into that question that we had recently about something I would like to see change. And and this is kind of one of those things that's really hard. But the the self-officiated nature of disc golf is really difficult. And I would say a lot of times I'm guilty of not really watching a player's foot that closely. Like, I'm interested in the shot. I'm interested in where is my disc. I'm interested in preparing myself mentally for this scary 40 footer I have. So, if this guy is 400 feet away on a par four, throwing a second shot, the chances that I'm like eagle eyeing his mini and his foot placement are virtually zero. Unless I have some reason to think that somebody is trying to gain an advantage and cheat, I don't really find myself looking to make calls because i'm like way more concerned with my own game and i don't even want the drama of like arguing because that just puts me in a headspace that i'm i don't want to be in when i'm when i want to just play as well as i can play so if i think someone's trying to cheat I'll, absolutely i'm making a call that's that's my responsibility to my competitors to to myself to the game but i'm certainly not out there looking for violations and you know, I, I don't know. I I know that's also my responsibility is to like, make sure the game is fair. Uh, but it's also like, you know, I'm there to play. I'm not, I'm not a referee. So in a perfect world, maybe there would be a way to have like a, an observer, but it's like, then you need one for every single card. And, um, you know, we have, a, we have like marshals and stuff that can be called over to a group to help settle something. But like, you want you have to have fairness and, and and if you if you have it on the lead card you'd need to have it on the 15th card as well so it's a tricky thing to solve but yeah I totally agree that uh there are probably a lot of uncalled violations in disc golf uh, because the players don't really see it as important to the score if it you know if, if it's something where you're like stuck behind a tree and this guy's like clearly moving his foot to get an advantage then they're gonna get called but these fairway shots and if your foot slips off the front of a tee pad, probably I'm not going to notice that unless you twist your ankle and you're hurt or something strange happens, you know? So uh, I guess, yeah, I don't know. Did I answer all parts of that question? Yeah, I
0: think so. It's, it's definitely one of those things that I think about a lot, you know, if, um, you know, I'm playing a game of basketball with my friends, I'm going to call a foul if I get slapped while going to the, going to the basket. If we're, you know, playing a, a pickup softball game, I'm going to argue if I think the ball was foul down the third baseline Yep, it, you know it was but when I'm playing disc golf I'm never like ah that was a bad spot or you foot I I don't know why it's just you know and I guess obviously playing it uh, leisurely like I do compared to professionally and with the money and ramifications on the pro tour but um it is odd to me that there isn't it's not policed more by the tour and that a player has to call it and then another player has to second it. And it seems like that doesn't happen often because again, you guys are all friends that are hanging out together, you know, and, and some of you guys traveling together. And uh, I can imagine it's a little
1: uncomfortable to to do that to a, a friend, I guess. It certainly can be. And I think with regard to spots, I didn't really ever talk about that, I guess, but like with an out of bounds spot, that's a tough thing too, because say it's like 450 feet down the fairway and this thing goes out of bounds, unless you have like really obvious evidence, like you hit that tree and it kicked straight to the right. So we know it went out of bounds right here. I would say the tendency is just sort of like, yeah, man, it was right around here. Like, well, don't put yourself dead behind that bush, you know, cause like, what do we know? We're 450 feet away. If there's no spotter, it's not like I'm going to go up there and say, Hey, for sure, man, you crossed right here and you're in this terrible spot now when like 10 feet farther up would be fine you know, unless I have actual evidence, then I sort of like lean towards that benefit to the player. Like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it was somewhere around here, but I'm not, I couldn't see that specifically enough to say, oh, for sure. You need to be right here in this terrible place where you're pinched between this light pole and this tree or, or whatever it is, you know, unless you have evidence or a spotter hard to be like really specific.
0: Yeah. I I always just kind of figure it's one of those things where it's like, all right, I won't, you know i won't nitpick you you don't nitpick me and let's get out of here and and fling these plastic
1: around and and put on a show uh, yeah nobody's looking to yeah i mean yeah everyone's just kind of concerned with their own score i think it's more than anything it's like obviously nobody wants to get a reputation as like some weird like you're always eyeing everybody and looking for violations and trying to catch somebody in a mistake, you know, because like, that's what, that's what like a fairway footfall amounts to It's more a mistake. I think than any kind of like willful, um, you know, rules violation. I think that's where you see the majority of footfalls called. It's like a fairway shot. And I would just, I just think nobody thinks that six inches makes a difference from the fairway, you know? So Uh, that would, that's like an accident and you don't really want to be that guy who's just like, Oh yeah, this guy's like a hawk just watching every little slip and he's going to pounce on you for that. Just, you know, it's like not a fun guy to be around. No offense, Nico. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, as everybody knows, we've been doing this new thing where folks can send in audio questions. Uh, You can record your audio question and send them to runningitpodcast at gmail.com. And let's go ahead and take an audio question right now, Nate. Nate, what's
1: up? This is Stephen from Little Rock, Arkansas. My favorite disc is by far the Sexton Firebird, and everybody around here knows that about me. And I know that that's probably your favorite disc, too. What I was wondering was, what is your favorite year run um, in order of least to greatest? And then also, what do you think is the most stable run uh, from most overstable to least overstable? Thanks so much for answering my question. Okay, so this, oh. is, this is a good question. Yes, it is my favorite disc, and I appreciate that you like it as well. That's awesome. Um, I am not the world's foremost expert on this. And I'm willing to I'm happy to admit that I would say certainly without a doubt, my favorite disc to throw and the one that I've thrown probably 90 percent of the Sexton Firebirds I've ever thrown have been the original year, the 2015. And I I'm not convinced that that's because of some like awesome performance reason. Like I feel like they fly well, but it's just that whatever the first one is, is like the one you learn. And it's the one you expect. And that's the one I'm comfortable with. So then when I need a new one, it's just like I'm just still throwing those. Not only do they take three or four years to to lose their utility for me. like It's not like I need a new firebird every year. If, they, if I lose them in a lake or something, obviously. But just beating them up, they stay useful for a really long time. So 2015, there's no way I could say that I like throwing any of the other years better. Because I throw the 2015 by far more than all the others. As far as stability goes my sense is that the most overstable year years is probably like 16 19 and 20 those ones are pretty overstable i would say the 15 is kind of like right behind them it's kind of in the middle and then the more understable would be the 17 and the 18 in my opinion but again like i really i probably has been a, it's probably been A year or two since I've thrown a 17 or an 18, you know, like, cause I just have the 15s in my bag and then I'll, whenever a new year comes out, I'll put that in my bag and use it as my overstable one for a while. But the ones with big staying power in my bag are still always those 15s just cause they've been my, my go-to since the very beginning.
0: Yeah. And people have to ask those questions because nobody knows how they fly because everyone's spending crazy money on them and hanging them on
1: their walls. <laughs> yeah. It makes me, it puts me in a weird position. That's, that's tricky. Cause then I'm like, man, do I, am I really about to put a $600 disc in my bag? And I'm like, yeah, I guess I am. But it, it, uh, it does get weirder every time now, whenever I need a new one, cause these crazy prices. Yeah,
0: it's, it's outrageous to me, but, uh, and you know, people talk about how much they love them and they're their favorite discs, but they're all sitting in plastic. And I'm like, let's get these things out. And let's get some dirt on these bad boys, but I understand <laughs> it. Um, yeah. well, well, you know what? While we're talking about that, a question that came in in a hundred different variations and we've kind of touched on this in the past is how do you feel about seeing the resale value of your discs and a bunch of questions came in about your new disc as well. And I think you're kind of at the point where it's like, Hey, the discs sell what they sell for. And then the fans kind of do whatever they want with them after. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of weird. Sure. That like I'm selling them for 25 and I'm like making, you know, kind of about as many as I can handle here with just me and Chandler trying to pack the orders and everything. Um, and then to see them turn around and sell for a hundred and 150, just like a week later. But it's like, I don't know, that's not really my responsibility to, you know, I'm like the original retailer in this, in this, uh, example when it's like a custom stamp that I had, you know, uh made and then just ordered from innova so we got some cool art for that one and yeah it's it's crazy The i kind of thought it would be a little different to be honest when it was something that i just ordered myself versus something that innova produced like from a collectability standpoint i see those sort of differently it's just like yeah sure i could make a run of discs anytime i want innova makes it like on a sort of honor based like hey you paid your dues you won this tournament you did this and so you get a disc you know and that seems to me to be like a more special and collectible thing. But clearly, I don't know everything because you know the the response to that new stamp was not was way more uh, crazy than I expected. But on the on the whole, uh, obviously, I want people to be able to get Nate Sexton discs. So I I, I don't want to uh, you know see people priced out and not be able to get their hands on one to try one. I'd like it if we could you know have production get to a level where there wasn't a whole lot of incentive to buy a bunch and you could make a profit on it. But at the same time, I don't really like bear ill will towards those guys either. And I, I I don't know about like putting in really small order limits because like from my perspective, that's tough too, because that's like a ton more work. If I'm like, you know, going to say only one disc per person, then all of a sudden I have a thousand orders to fulfill rather than like 300. Uh, So that's tricky too. You know, if I had a, a big staff or something, then yeah, sure. But, I don't know. I, I hope that we can just kind of keep making more discs, and eventually the the supply and the demand can normalize a little bit more, and and everyone can get what they're what they're looking for. But you know, on the whole, it's a positive, obviously, from my perspective. To have like a, a fervor around Nate Sexton stuff is like incredible, and uh, has driven a lot of my success. You know, because a lot of a lot of my, a lot of success in the eyes of a sponsor is, is measured in dollars and cents, you know? So like if your disc is moving and you're selling and you're doing well with the fans, then it's like, you're a valuable player. And that's like, at the end of the day, that's what sponsorship is. It's right. It's like you represent our brand so that we can make money. And, you know, with Innova, it's more than that because we've been, you know, working together for years and years. And it wasn't like when they started sponsoring me that anybody thought I was going to be any great, any kind of great player or win a major or anything, you know, I was just a young kid. So But, you know, I I appreciate all the fans. And and at the end of the day, the the craziness is certainly a positive in my life.
0: Well, Nate, I'm happy you brought up sponsors because we have a pretty awesome sponsor here on Running It with Nate Sexton. And you guys already know I'm talking about our friends over at FisherDiscGolf.com. Guys, you've heard us talk about uh the Fisher Disc Stacks that they do on Facebook and YouTube. If you haven't had an opportunity to check one of these out yet, make sure you go check it out. It's really a kind of a neat thing that they do. Um And, you know, some people love them, it's not necessarily for everyone. I will tell you that I did participate in the Disc Stacks. Um, I got a disc that I never would have picked up and bought in a store otherwise. And it's a disc that I absolutely loved using out on the course, so... Uh, it really kind of opened up a whole new line of plastic to me and something that I probably would have never tried. So check out Disc Stacks every Tuesday and Friday night at 8 p.m. on Facebook and YouTube. But guys, if nothing else, we're all Disc Golf fans. Visit FisherDiscGolf.com. Check out all of the amazing stuff that they have going on on that website. Levi and Adam are constantly adding new plastic, new runs, new molds. If there's something going on in the disc golf world, they're getting included and they're figuring out a way to get it to you from fisherdiscgolf.com. Over 18 different brands of plastic, they've got baskets and gear and dry fits and uh, disc dots, everything that you need to improve your game and make sure that you are having the most fun uh, with everything that you need. They've got it at FisherDiscGolf.com, and they've been nice enough to help out our listeners and give us a
1: special code to save 10% off our first purchase. Nate, what do they got to do to save 10%? Use our code RUNIT10. You always get free shipping, so it ends up being a really good deal.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely awesome. And we can't thank Fisher Disc Golf enough for their support. So if you guys are listening to this and you're like, hey, what's all the hype about FisherDiscGolf.com? All you got to do is just type it in your browser, FisherDiscGolf.com. Hop over there, check it out for yourself. And to let them know that Nate Sexton sent you, you just go ahead and put in code RUNIT10 at checkout. Save yourself 10%. Now, Nate, again, getting back to sponsorship, you're talking about Innova, a fun question that came in that I don't even know the answer to. Is there any additional responsibilities that come with being the Innova team captain, other than that sweet, sweet Innova money that we've talked about? But is there anything else that you do, any other responsibilities? Is there any difference between being a team captain on one of these uh, uh, manufacturers?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's uh, I don't know. It's not a lot of extra work, but it's definitely extra work. I'm um, in close communication with all of our team management staff and uh and talking to them about team roster decisions and also just about like team communication like streamlining the whole interaction between athlete and company so i'm kind of like the go-between there where i'm i'm like uh in those meetings and saying like yeah you know i think you know reporting bonuses this way is kind of a hassle or you know players told me that have told me this and i always try to make myself available for that kind of stuff the other thing that i'll do is is try to kind of take some of the planning roles when we, when we were lucky enough to not have COVID around and we can have like team dinners and things. We, we used to do that a little bit more. Uh, and I'll try to kind of like spread the word and, and make plans about something like that. Uh, and there were some times where I got to do fun stuff like, uh, you know, like courting um pers- like potential players that we might want to pick up where I would like get interval would like pay and I'd like take them out to dinner. And we talk about, Innovo, talk about disc golf, talk about their future, that kind of stuff, the kind of a fun role that I get to play sometimes out on the road where I'm like recruiting kind of for uh, for the company. But, yeah, it, it's uh, it's not like anything crazy, but, yeah, like certainly, uh you know, at least at least a meeting a month uh or, or and sometimes quite a lot more certain times of the year. It's probably like multiple meetings a week where I'm like doing uh, video calls and we're going through spreadsheets and talking about this player did this, like, what do we think when or this player has an offer coming in from some other manufacturer and it's, we think it's about this much. And does that make sense? Do we match that? Do we let them go? That kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was a great question that came in and I didn't realize how much went into being the team captain, but I guess you really are the, the team captain. It's not just a title. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a big honor for me as well. But yeah, something I gravitated towards was the responsibility that it came with. That was something I was kind of hungry for and, and to, to make myself useful in other ways than just, uh, you know, playing disc golf and trying to sell discs. I also want to be, you know, as far involved as, as they'll have me, you know, cause I, I like doing that kind of stuff. No. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Uh, let's take it to another audio question submitted by one of our listeners.
1: Hey, Nate, this is Jake from Richmond, Virginia. I was wondering how you settled on your putting stance because I know I've gone back and forth between straddle and a split stance putt. So what made you settle on being a straddle putter?
0: Thanks. Good question.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's actually kind of a funny story. It's not as uh, calculated as you might think. I, For a long time, I putted off of one foot and they jokingly would call me the stork around Oregon because it was like a funny, like one legged uh, stance thing. And the reason I was doing it was because when I got in close, like inside 35 feet, I felt like out of a stagger, like standard putting stance. I felt like if I involved the back leg too much, I would like put too hard or put over the basket. So I started kind of doing this one legged thing. That was more of like an up and down loft from the legs, forward power from the arm situation. And I was doing that for a long time. And then I remember missing a couple of putts in a row in a random tournament and just kind of saying to myself, all right, I'm straddling for the rest of the day. And I already practiced both and I still practice both. I'll still do straddles and staggers. And then it was kind of like made a lot of putts, it just kind of like stuck for like literally years and we're still in that phase uh and i sometimes question it still like i'm it's not like i'm like oh straddle's better and i'll never you know i'll be in the backyard and go man putting's not going good i just, i should just switch back i should just abandon the straddle just use it when i need it and i still think that and especially like windy places there's definitely windy tournaments where i will go away from the straddle for a whole tournament unless there actually is a reason to straddle out Uh, because I feel like I can get a little bit more forward energy when you can kind of rock your body more forward back, because the straddle is similar to that one legged thing in that the legs are producing only upward momentum, nothing forward, unless you're jump putting. So if you're inside and you can't fall forward, your legs can't really give you anything in terms of forward push. So you, you, you're just getting loft from the legs and you're getting all the forward energy from the arm. So that was similar to what I was already doing. It was working well. It was just kind of a thing where, yeah, I just switched because I was mad and uh, and just kind of went from there. So certainly not very scientific, but uh, I do recommend practicing both, being comfortable with both. And when you're having a terrible day, just committing to the full switch. <laughs> and it can sometimes kind of break you out of a, a tricky mental place where you just missed like, back-to-back 15 footers and you're questioning how you even putt anyway. Uh, it can be nice to just do kind of like a hard reset.
0: Why do sometimes pros like to keep a, another disc in their hand while they're putting? Is there a benefit to that? Is that just something that gets in their head? I notice a lot
1: of pros will hold a disc in their left hand while they're putting out with their right hand. I, I don't know. I think it could come part, part of it could come from, I think the it's pretty standard to have kind of like two putting putters uh, in the event that you were to lose one and also for you to be able to like warm up with. So I think, you know, if somebody practices that way a lot, then maybe they just kind of have that comfort of having the other one in their hand. Um, but I don't think there's actually any performance benefit to having another putter uh, in your hands, obviously. So just a preference thing. And I think uh just kind of a routine thing. And if that's so the way somebody practices all the time, then they maybe just keep it going. And when they get in the real tournament, have you ever dropped a disc while flipping it, getting ready to do a putt and have somebody try to try to count that as your stroke? Uh Part One, Yes, part Two. no. Well, actually, really, really long time ago, I did get a stroke uh, for dropping a disc, but I was probably like fourteen, and it was just me and other kids in like pouring rain, and I didn't know the rules. But yeah, sure, I've dropped them uh, in my professional career, but no one ever has tried to in try to suggest that it was a a throw. I think there's some uh, language in the rule book about. Uh, a throwing motion being kind of required and I think it's a pretty easy argument that like while it is part of my routine it's not part of my throwing motion it's like a, a pre, pre-throw ritual uh, so no I've never had anyone try to say hey that, that might count as a throw when you drop it while you're trying to flip it.
0: So there's like a disc golf
1: tuck rule
0: almost like for, for the quarterbacks in football you know if the arm's moving forward
1: it's not yeah, a I guess. it's an incomplete pass. I guess so pass yeah i mean it makes sense right because like if you're in your swing if, if like if you're if your routine looks like a full speed or even a half speed swing sorry like you know that's a hard argument to make because it's like if you drop it then it's kind of like who's to say like was that just a shank and now you're going to say oh you know that there's room for that to be abused uh but yeah i think um uh, there certainly we don't want it to be like a stroke if like a a disc pops out of your bag or something, or you're trying to grab it and it slips like that's just life. You know, things happen so that you wouldn't want that to be a penalty. But if somebody's swinging their arm on the tee pad, like they're going to throw it and it pops out of their hand, then then it's a little harder to not have that count.
0: All right, Nate, you're probably not going to like this one, but I need to know the answer to it. So people know that you are the 2017 United States disc golf champion. What many people may not know is that you were pretty close to being the 2015 United States disc golf champion until you had a horrible final day. What True. happened?
1: True. Well, I was just joking about this the other day. What actually happened is I played awful the, and a combination of bad weather and nerves totally sunk me. But I had a three-shot lead over Macbeth and Waisaki, I think, with 18 holes to go and, uh, the weather did blow in and it was like rainy and cold. I remember. And I, I know I lost by 11. So some quick math says I lost to Macbeth by 14 on the round. I think I still shot a thousand rate around, um, barely, but that tells you how good he was playing, how bad I was playing. Uh, definitely, you know, had nerves, had cold hands, had it all let it get away from me. And then it was just kind of like, I remember a moment where I was just sort of like, well, I'm going down swinging. Like I've lost, but I'm not going to like, I don't care about, you know, second, I was pretty disappointed and I was just trying to like fight and keep throwing. And it wasn't really working. I think I ended up taking like fourth. Um, But yeah, the joke I always make is that, you know, that was back when Paul and I were traveling together, both on Innova. That was his famous grand slam season, final major of the year. I had him kind of on the ropes there one round to go. And I always joke that, yeah, like you know, Innova said I should take a dive for the, you know, for the history for Paul, you know. So a mm,
0: little like shake and bake, like Ricky yeah. Babby, huh? Yeah. You just go. So I would drift off. Yeah.
1: Obviously, I would never do that, and there was nothing about that happening. But it's a fun little jab at Paul to be like, yeah, you know, that that super famous greatest season you'll probably ever have, you know, if it weren't for me collapsing. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, it, he played. He played fantastic. Yeah, you shot like low 60s every round
0: and then finished out with like a 75, I think, in the final yes, round. Yes,
1: yes. The weather was much, much worse, but also my uh, mental strength was much, much worse. So two, at least two factors at play there to get my score up so high.
0: <sighs> hamburgers or hot dogs, Nate?
1: Uh, probably hamburgers.
0: You have no idea how many questions come in about your food preferences, especially with this Ask Nate Anything.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> you know, I'm, I down, think ham- I'm down for that. Yeah, I think the hamburgers and, and hot dogs came in. Another one that came in is uh,
1: traditional chicken wings or boneless chicken wings? Oh, I think probably traditional chicken wings if I, yeah. if I was to, to make a choice there, yeah. I mean, boneless is convenient for sure, but it doesn't ever seem like it tastes quite as good. Well,
0: that's because there's no such thing as the boneless chicken wing. It's a chicken nugget with sauce on it. It's yeah, a, ch- a, chicken wing's sure. a chicken wing, man. You can't, yeah. th- there's no boneless wings. Yeah, no,
1: it's, it is definitely a nugget.
0: Yeah. I- I'm just, uh, I- I'm never a fan of that one. Uh, when that, when that comes up, um, we've got Cody says, uh, Hey guys, any new disc names or molds you're adding or working into your lineup for this upcoming season, You have a firebird and a firefly. You sticking with the fire theme and going with the Phoenix or something similar for an NS mid-range or fairway driver? Appreciate the pod. Love listening in. Well wishes for a happy and healthy 2021. Cody G from New Hampshire.
1: Well, uh... If it was only so easy, it's just to say, hey, man, I need my I need a fresh mid range made for me with my name on it. Like that, that's that's a hard thing because, uh, you know, Innovo, we have a huge list of fantastic players on the team and, uh you know, everyone has to earn what they get. So I wouldn't expect uh I don't know that I'll be bringing out any like signature brand new discs uh, anytime soon. We'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get some big wins, but uh, I, I do have a, another uh, product in the works uh, with Innova and it has nothing to do with fire. So uh, keep an eye out. Oh man. The little, little dish here on running it with Nate Sexton, I like that. That's an exclusive. It's not, it's not, it's like a, not quite news, but it's maybe a little bit of news. I like that. Well, hey, we're, uh, we're sitting here and we're, we're answering
0: questions from fans. And I think we've got another audio question that we can go to. Hey, Nate and Jarrett. My name's Chad. Just want to first start off by saying how much I love the show. Uh, me and my wife tune in every week and it's been really great. Uh, my question for you guys is if you took the top four disc manufacturers, Discmania, Innova, Prodigy, and Discraft, and you took the top 3 players from each of those manufacturers and you put them in a best shot triples on
1: maple hill gold which manufacturer team do you think would come out on top <laughs> i mean that is a that would be a fun event to to spectate and to play in um the hard thing for me is like pulling out of my pulling out of my head who's the top three for every company I don't have it obviously right in front of me but also I can't really go anywhere but Innova like I I I play for Innova I think you know we got the number one rated player in the world now shout out to Rick who we need to get on the show very soon uh so yeah I mean we're, we're gonna win but uh but everyone all the other teams are are uh, fantastic and yeah I mean what a dream that would be for the fans to get to watch something like that and it definitely got to include the women as well because uh you know, and, and maybe they already were included because some, some of the women are top three players for their companies. So, um, yeah, I don't know that it'll ever happen, maybe, but it's fun to dream about, fun to debate. Um, but yeah, team Innova, let's go.
0: Yeah. I mean, w- what other answer is there? It's, it's team Innova.
1: Well, and they, yeah. I mean, so I'm, everyone is entitled to their own answer, but I only have the one. And that's the one that we're going with. Nate, what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Gosh, that's tough. I, I I struggle with this question. Um, I feel like a movie that I can watch like once a year and be f- totally fine with it is Big Lebowski. It's just like funny, and I always forget parts of it, and just go, "Oh my god, that part is so ridiculous and funny." So that's up there. Um, but yeah, whenever anyone asks me what my favorite movie is, I can't think of any movies anymore, and then I don't know any movies, and I can't. I don't know. I need to I need to sit down and make a little ranking or something. But I, I would say I'm not a uh, I'm not I don't watch all that many movies.
0: All right, Nate, coming from Evan Ludes, Ludus? Sorry, Evan. As someone with a child on the way, I'd like to know, is it wiser to shop for a baby stroller that also works as a disc cart or a disc stroller that also works as a baby cart? <laughs>
1: Man. Uh, I mean, let's, let's go, let's, let's go ahead and put the baby first. Uh, you know, that, that might be a controversial thing to say, but, uh, let's, let's get that baby secured first and we'll figure out the discs second. I would say, uh, you got it. The stroller has been awesome. Like, uh, you know, my, my daughter still uses it. She's three and a half and on a long round, I still definitely will bring it. My discs never go in the stroller. I, I just keep those on my back, but for a, a stroller, you got to have the inflatable like tires, like bike tires. You need the shock absorbers and you need the emergency brake. If you have those three things, you can get through a disc golf course pretty pretty well.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you, uh, a good stroller with good storage space is clutch in any situation: disc golf, shopping, going to the county fair the stroller is the stroller's clutch. You can, you can get your discs in there. I can't imagine big germ strapping a baby to his cart. So
1: no, nah. um, well I can imagine it, but it wouldn't be a happy baby.
0: Well, you know, Yuli's no fan of how he, he maneuvers that cart around on the course. So no, um, have you, have you ever been a pool cart guy? Or have you always just been a, a an over the shoulder bag or a backpack? What's your preference?
1: I've never tried. I've never tried a cart uh i did take advantage when germ and i were doubles partners we got both bags strapped on there and and he just pushed them around that was cool it was like having a caddy but uh but no i've never i don't know it's just a lot of equipment for me i don't know and and like luckily you know like my fans have been awesome and i these days it's like i'm i usually have quite a few offers to caddy obviously covid is maybe making that impossible but um yeah i don't know i i've never found my discs to feel that heavy i feel like I I'm happy to have them on my back, my back. And maybe that's my pound disc golf bag. I don't know. It's just, it's just super comfortable. I mean, I, I I've never gravitated towards a cart. Is it a
0: big loss that there's no caddies? I mean, they went through it last year and it looks like it's back this year right now. No spectators, no caddies is, is that something that really changes the game that much for the, for the professionals?
1: I think for some more than others. I mean, there's certainly some guys that never have caddies, And there's some people that have just random caddies and there's some people that have caddies that are like good friends and supports support staff for those, that person kind of. So those people are probably hurt the worst. I've kind of, I kind of do a combination where some, you know, occasionally I'll bring my dad with me and he'll, he'll caddy for me in Europe in 2019. He was there and he's been to a few USDGCs with me and that's awesome and really fun. So that's kind of sad to not have that as an option. Um, Generally, I'll just have like a fan reach out to me and sometimes it's like the same guy year after year in, in a certain city, which is really fun to get to reconnect with people and they'll, you know, remember important things about strategy, how I might have done something the previous year and make really timely recommendations occasionally where I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. I totally forgot that, but I did make that mistake and said that to you that I don't want to do that again. And they'll like have that in their head ready to go. So that's awesome. But, uh, you know, on the whole, I don't think it's, uh, a huge change, but it's sad because it's just fun. You know, caddies are, it's fun to have somebody that to give somebody a front row seat to meet somebody and make a new friend to um uh, and to have somebody in your corner. Those are all fun things when you're out there kind of playing you against the course, you against everybody else. It can be kind of lonely sometimes when you're coming down the coming down the stretch and it's really tense. Um, It's nice to have a caddy there and be like, oh, man, man, like, I really hope I can do this and just have somebody to bounce ideas off of.
0: Yeah, I know for myself, I was a little disappointed. I was looking forward to getting out at a, at a couple tournament stops and hand the new Firebirds and having sunflower seeds ready for you. But <laughs> they, said, uh, they said no caddies, so I guess we'll just have to, we'll just have to wait and see. You're going to have to carry your own bag until then, Sexton. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll struggle through it.
0: No, <laughs> I'm sure you will. Now, uh, we actually had a request from a fan. Uh, regarding this week's disc breakdown and they asked if you would be so kind as to break down and give some information out on the Innova Mako 3.
1: Oh sure yeah Mako 3 is cool Mako 3 is a a mid-range that it's honestly it's kind of in and out of my bag it's sort of course dependent for me but uh it's a straight to understable mid-range depending on the plastic I find the champion to be a little bit more overstable and the star to be a little bit more on the flippy side and luckily we already defined those terms so we're really we're making headway here uh but yeah it's a it's a beadless large diameter mid-range so it can go all the way up to 180 grams Uh, and I find that it's really comfortable in my hand I don't mind it for like short range forehands either for like kind of flip up in like a really technical woodsy sort of course uh, I had those kind of like uh, now famous throw-ins during that Joma skins match where I got the two of them in the one round and uh, I was looking it probably made it look like I throw Mako threes all the time honestly I don't throw it that often but I do like it for that kind of shot Uh, but generally I'll use it mostly for backhands, uh, trying to hit a tight tunnel, throw it on a little bit of hyzer and let it kind of stand up into the gap and then maybe finish a little bit right if I need it to, but a really straight flyer right out of the box and just a nice all around disc. Like if you just, if you're looking for a first disc, if you're looking for something, you can kind of pick your angle and just kind of hold it through and throw it wherever you've, where, whatever angle you want it to kind of hold and just kind of finish the whole flight that way. It's a great option for that kind of thing. So the Mako three, really nice, like neutral flying mid range.
0: I bag one and, uh, and I absolutely love it. It's just a, it's an easy disc to throw and it seems to kind of do what I want, when I want it to. I just, yeah. i throw it. I just don't throw it very far, but, um, but it's, uh, it, it's been a good placement disc for me for sure. I love the Mako three. And that question came from Casey, uh, Tolman. So I'm sorry, Casey, that I didn't get you in there, but we got your disc breakdown in there for you. Um, now before we finish up with our questions here Nate I'm going to throw one more at you which I thought was a cool question. More ideal vacation spot Nate would you rather have uh, a little house on the beach in the ocean or uh, a little cottage up in the mountains and in the snow? What's what's a more a, a more ideal vacation spot for Nate Sexton?
1: Man it's like I I think I would like either one just fine but because obviously if I'm going on vacation and my wife is coming, she's for sure picking the mountain one. So that's like, you know, what do they say? Happy wife, happy life. So, you know, like I don't have a strong preference to be honest. They both sound fantastic. I'll, I'll try both. She would too. She doesn't hate the beach or anything, but uh, I would say uh, certainly snow would probably be the, the first choice for us would be to kind of get up there and, and dust off the snowboards and snowshoes, which we haven't used for probably like three or four years now need to, quit doing all this doctor stuff and, and get some free time so we can go use those things again.
0: Seriously. All this doctor stuff is really holding up a lot. It is. It's Sexton. Re- it really is. Have you guys talked about getting Coraline to, uh, to Disneyland yet?
1: She already went. Uh, I've never been, but uh, really? they went, I was doing a Sexton shootout in LA. And they went, but Coraline was tiny. So she already, she, she like per, sort of remembers it because she sees the pictures, but she really wants to go again. My wife really loves Disneyland and, and went there as a kid. I've never been uh, to Disneyland or Disney World or anything. And I actually don't even really like amusement park rides. But I, but I, I'm told a hundred times over by my wife that Disneyland is different. I'm going to love it. So I'm sure I'm going to go. Uh, and yeah, I don't know when, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely go there and Coraline yeah. and Brie have already been.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's a lot of fun, but it's one of those vacations that you need a vacation after from going on that vacation because there's really nothing <laughs> vacation at all about about Disneyland, but um you know, the Coraline <laughs> certainly she's certainly at the right age to uh to 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 enjoy We've that. been
1: watching we've been watching so much Disney Plus lately just kind of just being hanging out together in the house every day after day after day. We've been, we just watched toy story two today. We're kind of going through the, the old movies I used to watch. So yeah, where she's going to, I'm sure all those characters are around and you know, she'll, she'll be freaking out.
0: Dude, my kids go to sleep and I'm right back on Disney plus and I'm watching old episodes of boy meets world. I am totally reliving my (laughs) preteen years all over again. So shout out to Disney plus for boy meets world. That was like my favorite show when I was a kid and, uh, and I get to relive the whole thing here now. So, well, nice. Nate, I think we, uh, I think we had a lot of fun with uh, ask Nate anything. I think we had a, a ton of questions, guys. I know that we weren't able to get to all of them, but every once in a while, we're going to toss in and ask Nate anything. So um, I've got all of your questions saved. You guys can send more in. And uh, I think this is something that we're going to revisit every once in a while, because it's a lot of fun to to kind of take a, a step back from the celebrity statuses of your friends and just kind of let the listeners get to know a little more about you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's great. And I just basically want to say thanks to the fans for engaging with the show and sending in the questions, and especially the audio questions. I th- I just really like those. I think it, it kind of makes the whole experience a little bit richer to hear straight from people. So if you have the time and you have the the technology, the smartphone handy, uh, and you have a question for any of the guests or me, definitely would love it if you send that into the email for the show because I just like hearing from the fans directly not having to listen to jared all the time
0: right no i I, and i i like hearing from them too because then i don't have to talk as much so it works out (laughs) it it works out well for everybody well guys we can't thank you enough for uh for all the downloads the likes the shares um it's really been amazing on this run as we're getting this podcast going and there's a whole lot more to come we're going to be back soon with uh with some amazing guests and, uh, and just doing anything that we can to help kind of entertain you guys and give you a little insight on the world of disc golf from one of the very best doing it, Nate Sexton. So, Nate, we, uh, we the fans certainly appreciate you taking the time each week to put this show out. And uh, again, from my point, it's been absolutely overwhelming, the response that we've gotten.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, guys, uh, we thank you so much. Again, you can email your audio questions to runningitpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Running It with Nate Sexton. He is at Frisbee Nate. I am at JaredOr222. Don't forget to check out our awesome sponsors, fisherdiscgolf.com hop on there, check out all the cool stuff that they've been going on. If you've been enjoying the show, uh, one of the ways that you can support it is by supporting our sponsors. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, please make sure you're su- subscribed. Go ahead and click that five-star rating if you think that we've deserved it. And uh, any comments or questions or anything, we're always open to getting them. Uh, again, I am Orr Jarrett. He is at Frisbee Nate. And- and, you know, there's a lot of shows and a lot of opportunities for you guys to, to spend, uh, to give your time to. And we certainly appreciate you giving it to us. And Nate, there's a lot of people that are out there right now, and they're just kind of laying them up, man.
1: Yeah, and yeah, I used to be one of those guys, but I'm too old for that now. And I, from here on out, I'm just running it.
0: Yeah, what else can we do? Guys, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you next week.